morning as we looked at John chapter 1, specifically verse 1. Uh, but tonight we'll be in verses 14 through 18. Balancing grace and truth. You know, many of us understand the importance of balancing in this life. You know, we often are told by our doctors that we need to have a well-balanced diet, right, about the foods we intake. Um, we want to balance our checkbooks, right? That's something that we need to do uh, monthly at least, make sure that our, our balances reflect what the bank says they have, or even if we have investments. If we have an investment portfolio, we want to make sure they're balanced, right? We don't want too much in high-risk stock, and we don't want too much in low-risk stock. We want a good balance. We want a good balance between our professional lives and our home lives. Again, we want balance in this life and raising our children. We want our children to grow up to have a, a balanced childhood. I recall uh, what Luke said in Luke 2.52 about Jesus. He said about his childhood that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Right? That was a great balance to his life that he, that he was raised, um, that he grew in wisdom. You know, he grew mentally. He, he grew in stature. Physically grew, he grew in favor with, with God uh, and the spiritual side of things, and he grew in favor with men socially. Right? That was a great balance to his childhood and a great example for us as well as parents. You know, we want to make sure that our tires are balanced on our vehicles, right? That's going to prevent things down the road, expenses. As at Southeast, at the preaching school that I graduated from, one of the, the, the points of emphasis that they made is that they want to put out balanced preachers, right? They, they, they want to see balanced preaching throughout the brotherhood. You know, in a career of type rope walking, you better be balanced, right? You can't veer to the left, you can't veer to the right. You need to stay centered. And so we understand what it means to be balanced. We understand the importance of that. But likewise, in our spiritual life, in our spiritual walk, we want to be balanced as well. John chapter 1 Verses 14 through 18, Jesus is a great example for us. As it reads in John chapter 1, starting in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For with his fullness we all have received and grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. See again, when we remember last week as we were talking about Jesus and his deity, that he was the express image of God. Right? He came, he, he dwelt among us, that word there is an interesting word. He tabernacled. He dwelt among us. You know, he pitched his tent and he came down to be among us. So that, not that he could learn what man was like, but for man to learn what God was like. You know, if I were to ask you to close your eyes right now and picture, you know, the nicest truck that you've ever seen, you know, I'm sure that you could probably do that. Something would come to your mind. But if I were to ask you to close your eyes and, and envision God, well, that's going to be a little bit hard. 
Right? That's going to be a little bit harder because as verse 18 tells us, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, Jesus has explained him. See, Jesus' life on this earth has explained God to us. And we know that while Jesus was among us, verse 14 tells us that he was full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. For some 30 years, we saw God through Jesus. He put on flesh again and dwelt among us. Yet, we struggle with this. We struggle with this as individuals and as congregations with this balance of being full of grace and truth. You know, there might be a congregation in town who they'll emphasize grace over truth. Right? That they will tolerate maybe a false teaching for the sake of unity. But then there might be a congregation on the other side of town that will emphasize truth over grace. Right? They'll have a hard limit on what they teach and they'll make sure that you're following exactly to what's being taught. See, Jesus, he did not struggle with this. Again, he was full of grace and truth, and we want that balance. And Jesus is our example. Let's talk about some extremes to grace and truth. Of course, truth. Jesus is full of truth, as the text tells us. Truth is the opposite of falsehood. Truth originates from God. It's from God. It's a reflection of his character. God, of course, is perfect. He's just. He's righteous. He does not change. And when Jesus came in the form of flesh, he declared the truth. Right? Psalm 119, verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. Right? The totality of your word is truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus said about his disciples in his prayer, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Right? That is what the truth is, God's word. God has revealed his final truth to mankind through Jesus Christ. We know through other scriptures that the truth can be understood, Ephesians 3, 4, and that we can know the truth, John 8, 32. Remember Jesus said, you can know the truth and the truth will set you free. And of course, we will be judged by that truth. Jesus said in John 12, 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who will judge him. The word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. But there is an emphasis sometimes in individuals on truth, and they want to disregard grace. You know, some will use truth as a as a weapon, right? They will use it as a weapon to harm others. When I was here with you for the first time back in February, I preached on Jonah, and we really only looked at Jonah 1, 2, and 3. But in Jonah chapter 4, we get another side to Jonah that we don't often think about. Of course, God commissioned Jonah to go to Nineveh and to preach to the to the, the Ninevites, the Assyrian people, and he didn't want to do that. Remember that? And so he got on that ship and he, he fled to the other opposite direction. And a lot of times we think, well, maybe maybe Jonah was scared that he didn't want to go there. He was frightened. But look in Jonah chapter four, verses one and two. It reads there, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Now what he was greatly displeased about was that God relented from the calamity that he said that he was going to bring on the, the city of Nineveh if they would not have repented. 
what they did. And so in Jonah chapter 4, again, verses 1 and 2, it says, But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this that I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abundant in love kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. See, the reason why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is he knew that God was going to be a gracious God to them. These people he, he saw as sinners and that they should receive their, their just due. Right? That's the way that Jonah thought. He was emphasizing truth over grace. These people are sinners and they should get what they deserve. But then we can look at the side of things of grace. You know, a lot of definitions out there of grace, unmerited favor. Right? It's favor that we receive that's unmerited, it's unearned. You know, some of the other definitions I, I like to recall uh, as far as grace, blessings bestowed when wrath was owed. So that's how I remember what grace means, blessings bestowed when wrath was owed. Or another one, God's riches at Christ's expense. Right, if you take the first letter in each of those words, it's going to spell out grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And so when we're talking about grace, we're talking about the summation of all the things that God has done for us to bring salvation to humanity. Right? Because with our sins, we separate ourselves from God. And we need a way to get back into his fellowship, into his presence. And he extended that to all men, that grace, Titus 2.11. He extended that to all men, but it must be accessed. Right? Grace is a conditional thing that we must accept it. And there's a, there are those who will emphasize grace over truth. You know, a passage that is often referred to in that context is Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Where Paul says over there, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Not, and that's not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. For you have been saved through by grace through faith. And again, many will use that passage to say, well, hey, look, that's all we need is grace. God's grace covers us, and that's all we need. See, grace, again, this is what God does for us. This is God's part, and faith is man's response to God. See, no one can benefit from a gift, as it says here again in verse 8, it is the gift of God. No one can benefit from a gift unless they accept it, unless, unless they accept the terms and conditions. We don't earn the gift. God does not owe it to us, but when he gives us the opportunity to receive that gift and we accept it, we receive that grace. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, which we looked at extensively last week, if you recall, Jesus said to his disciples, to his apostles, that he had to go to Jerusalem, that there he was going to suffer at the hands of the high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, and that he was going to suffer. And that he was going to be put to death. Do you remember what Peter's response was? Peter said, Forbid it, Lord. That shall never happen to you. 
Right? And what he was saying literally was, mercy be upon you, Lord. You don't have to do it. Rely on God's mercy. Rely on God's grace. But you remember what Jesus said to Peter right after that? He said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Right? You are not putting your, your mind on God's things, but on man's. Peter's mindset was that the truth could be overlooked in favor of, of mercy and grace. But again, as we think about this, this balancing act that we want to have between grace and truth, Jesus, of course, is that perfect example. See, he never lost focus of either of those things. Jesus had, he didn't have to pick between grace and truth. He fully embraced both of those. And since he was full of grace and truth, we should take a look at his life, study his life, and see how that played out in his life. Follow along with me in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Here we have Jesus entering Jerusalem. And he comes to this, this uh, pool at the gate, at the sheep's gate, which was in Bethsaida. And he came there, and there were all these people around who were ill, they were sick, they had uh, diseases, they were withered, they were lame. And what they did was they waited around. The tradition said that, that it, once the water started stirring in this pool, that whoever was first to go into it would be healed of whatever infirmity he had. And so on this account, Jesus is entering near this pool, and he comes up to a man who the text tells us that he had been lame, that he had been ill for 38 years. This man explained, as Jesus said, do you want to be made well? Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? And the man explained how every time he had an opportunity to get into that pool, someone else would get there first. Right? Something to do with his, his paralysis or his weakness, that he just couldn't get up and get into that pool before others would. Jesus, again, verse 6, asks him, do you wish to get well? And then Jesus is gracious upon the man, and he heals him, and he tells him and instructs him to take up his bed, his pallet, and go. But of course, this was on the Sabbath day. Right? This was on the Sabbath day, and Jesus knew that there was going to be a problem with, with the Pharisees about this, because the Pharisees, well, they had sort of their own rule book, that they not only had the Bible, but they had what they called the Mishnah, which was full of their, their laws and their traditions, that they would create a man-made traditions. And one of their traditions was that on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to pick up an object and move it from one place to another. And so when this man was walking through town with his pallet, Jesus, or excuse me, the Pharisees saw him, and they asked him, what are you doing? Right? What are you doing? And the man explained, this man made me, he healed me, and he told me to pick up my pallet and, and go. And they asked him, well, who was this man? But they didn't, he didn't know. They didn't know. But of course, they weren't excited. They weren't happy that this man had been healed. All that they were worried about was who violated their traditions. Who violated the traditions of the Pharisees? Eventually, by verse 14, it says afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. And said to him, Behold, you have become well. 
Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. See, Jesus was gracious to the man by, by healing him. He, he had been ill for 38 years. But he didn't give in to truth either at the expense of his grace. Right? Jesus is full of grace and truth. And he tells him there in verse 14 to sin no more. Sin no more. The implication was that this man's sin somehow caused the infirmities that he had had, this disability that he had had in the past. And he said, don't do this again. Right? Don't do these things again or else something worse is going to happen to you. See, I was gracious to you. I healed you. But don't put yourself in that sinful situation again. Jesus is saying to the man that harmed your body or else something worse will happen to you. See, again, Jesus is full of grace and truth. Turn with me to John chapter 8. Another example we have in Scripture. In John chapter 8, the woman taken in adultery. And you're familiar with this story where, where the, uh, the, these individuals bring this woman in front of Jesus and they're trying to catch him. Right? They're trying to catch him in, in a trap because they know that Jesus is going to have to either fall victim to them or to the Roman authorities. See, they will either have him on record opposing Moses if Jesus was to not commend them to stone the woman, or if he said that Moses is right, he knew that they knew that the Roman authorities would have trouble with Jesus because under Roman authority, the Jews did not were not allowed to commend stonings. They weren't allowed to um, give out punishments. And so these men, they, they bring her in front of Jesus. They, they say they caught her in the act. And they say, Jesus, what do you say? And remember Jesus, he, he stooped down. He wrote on the ground. He stood up and he said to them, you know, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. See, and a lot of us, when we read that, we're thinking, well, Jesus is not saying you have to be perfectly sinless to do the stoning. But he's saying to those around them, who of you are without sin regarding to what just happened? The, this plot, you know, this scheme that you are setting up to try and trick him. See, and a man only sees grace in these passages. Right? This is the Jesus that the world wants to believe in. That he tells this woman to, he tells her to sin no more. And he sends her off, and as nobody condemns her, nobody stones her. But we notice that Jesus is also upholding the truth in these passages. He's upholding the truth. He's honoring the truth. Because if we were to study the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, would tell us that in a situation like this, both parties would have been stoned. It would have been the adulterer and the adulteress. But where was the man in this situation? Where was the man? He was nowhere to be found. See, again, they're only concerned about tracking Jesus. They're only concerned about getting him in trouble with the authorities. They're not really here to uphold the law. Deuteronomy 17, verses 6 and 7 says that in a situation like this, it's the witnesses who are to commence the stoning. They're not Jesus. Why are they coming to Jesus to ask him uh, about this? Why aren't they taking care of this? Of course, Jesus knows what's in their hearts. He knows that they are trying to set him up. 
Jesus here is upholding both grace and truth. Again, he says to the woman in verse 10, chapter 8, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus tells her to sin no more, to stay faithful to the truth. And then one more example I want to share with you in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27, the account of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. See, this man, this man would be the perfect convert today. Right? This is a young, he, he's rich, he, he's influential, he's popular, he's a ruler. You know, many would want to court him. You know, come, come and be at our services today. You know, that, that's how the world would react to this individual. And, and we recall that he comes and he finds Jesus and he says to Jesus, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And Jesus says, and he goes through and he says, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And you remember what he said? He said, Master, I, I have done all these things. I have upheld all these things from my youth. But then Jesus says, but there's one thing that you still lack. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. <coughs> you recall what, what the rich young ruler did after that? He went away sadly. He went away grieving because he owned much property. See, this man had, this rich young ruler, he had high morals. You know, he, he didn't murder. He, he kept the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments. But what was separating from him, from eternal life, Jesus knew was a greedy heart. He, he knew that he had many possessions, and it, it grieved this man. But we see here, Jesus, he let this man walk away. He let the rich young ruler walk away. Look at verse 21. It says that, in Mark chapter 10, it says that looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him. Right? Jesus loved this man. But Jesus didn't run after him. He didn't try and catch up with him and say, and say something to the effect of, let's talk about this more. You know, I can be more gracious. Let's, let's work out something. We really want you in our congregation. Right? He didn't say any of those things. Have you ever considered how difficult it must have been for Jesus? He loved this individual. This man was not just an acquaintance of Jesus, but Jesus was his maker. Like Jesus was his creator, but he let the man walk away because the man would not uphold the truth. Like his heart was hardened in greed for his many possessions. See, grace and truth are embodied perfectly in Jesus. Brethren, we also need to stay balanced. We need to stay balanced when it comes to grace and truth. Right? We, we can't pick one or the other. We can't lean one way. We need to stay balanced like Jesus may be said of us that we are full of grace and truth. See, we here at the, at the church that meets here in Columbia, we want to be a church that extends grace and kindness to those around us. But we also want to do that be a church that teaches the truth, the whole counsel of God. Not just in our words, but in our actions as well. In all the sermons that Jesus preached that we have recorded in Scripture, in all of his personal one-on-one -on -one conversations, 
the miracles that he performed, all the parables that he gave, that he ever taught. If you were, if maybe you have one of those red letter Bibles where you can see specifically where Jesus taught, he never once used the word grace. He never once did, but he didn't have to, right? Because he lived it. He was full of grace and truth. He perfectly balanced those, and that's a challenge for us today, that we balance our lives in grace and truth. This evening, if we can help you in any way, the Bible says in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, he who believes and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who disbelieves shall be condemned. If you had not had the opportunity to put on Christ in baptism and become a child of His, we would love the opportunity to help you with that here tonight. Or if you'd like to study about that, again, we would love that opportunity. Maybe today, tonight, you're here with us and, and maybe you need the prayers of this congregation, the prayers of the church, that maybe you haven't been living a life full of grace and truth. Jesus is our perfect example. We can see that in his accounts when we read those over and over again. Again, this congregation would love the opportunity to pray for you and help you in your walk with Christ. If we can help you in any way, please come forward now as we together stand and sing this song of invitation.